Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. It seems like students are worried about not having enough clinical experience for their app this cycle. Do you think schools will be lenient on a lack of clinical experience because of COVID? All right. The question that we get every week um, that is yeah. very important on everyone's minds. And I just realized we're not live on Instagram yet, so I'm just futzing with my – I don't know why my camera's not working, but anyway, keep going. Well, I'll jump in here and while you're doing that, uh, Ryan. So um, I, I think that, you, you know, we, we have talked about this uh, quite a bit. And I think that schools will be more lenient um, on a uh, perhaps a, a, on a, a small level in terms of clinical experience uh, due to COVID. Um, I, I will also say, however, that. Uh, part of the other question uh, that was related by the same, uh, same student says, while I'm uh, still, yeah, while I'm trying to be empathetic to the situation, it seems like many schools, I think med schools, might feel that you shouldn't wait until a year before your application to get clinical experience. And, and I completely agree with that. I think the leniency that medical schools are going to have is going to be limited. It's not going to just be, okay, the fact that you don't have any clinical experience uh, is fine because of COVID. Uh, I, think, uh, I, I think that they're going to look at everything within the context of COVID, but I, th I also think that they're going to have that you know, similar kind of attitude that if, you're, if you've waited, if you don't have anything, you waited until the last year of your application to get any experience whatsoever, uh, then that may still be a problem now if, if you're if you're if you're limited in the clinical experience then i think that's another another issue um that that i think medical schools are going to be willing to be lenient on and so um so i think it's uh it, it's a yes they will be more lenient but it's not a a full-on yeah so what if you don't have any uh any experience so um so I, I think uh, you know getting as much as you can will be will be beneficial, uh, and, and I know that's difficult in this time. But yeah, so it, at the end of the day, it always comes down to right the the macro versus micro. In the micro, the obviously medical schools realize that right now is a hard time to get this experience. In the macro, the question is, what does your full body of evidence show? Is your full body of evidence right. completely lacking and you were waiting to the last minute to get something, a.k.a. you were checking off the box? Checking off a or, box, yep. Yeah, or, or did you have some experience that has been interrupted because of COVID, which is going to be a completely different story? Yeah. Totally agree so. with that. All right. <clears throat> oh, that's a lot of good questions tonight. 
Yeah. Rachel's examining. Oh, Hello, go. where's the best place on the MC application to explain a dip in GPA that only occurred sophomore year and there's been an upward trend since then? So Scott, I think the, the first question here is, do you even need to explain that dip? Yeah, that's a good question. And and I would say it depends on what this what the student means by dip. Uh, I mean, if you were a 4.0 student and you went down to 3.5, then no, you don't have to explain that. Even if you're a 3. You know, five student it went down to three point two. I, I wouldn't say that was would be um, a, an explanation would be necessary. Now, if you were a three five student it went down to two point oh, then yeah, you probably want to explain that. And uh, uh, you know, but there, you know, AMCAST wise, I don't know if there's really a good place to do that. Um, you could you could do it in your personal statement, although I I wouldn't really feel like that would be the right place to do it. Um, so I, I, I don't really know that, you know, Texas and Acomas, I think there's some, some places where you can, uh, where you can do that. But uh, AMCAS, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. What, what are your thoughts, Ryan? Yeah, in, in my personal statement book, I, I mention um, mentioning potentially any big red flags in your personal statement as like a sentence or two at the most, just a, right, a, right. like, I know that you're going to see this and mm -hmm. I know that it doesn't look great. And here's mm -hmm. just a tiniest little bit of explanation. And then when you invite me in for an interview, we can talk about it. Um, but it's just, it's just a way to potentially explain it outside of that. There isn't a good place for it. Um, uh, unfortunately, and, and maybe there should be, uh, it's not part of a disadvantaged essay. Uh, it's, it's nowhere really else. The, the one potential place is in secondary essays, which are the outside of the AMCAS application, but a lot of secondary essays will ask about any sort of, uh, poor grades or, or any issues or anything else is a very common question. Anything else that you want to talk about? So. That is the recommendation. All right, let's rock and roll for some more here. I know you have discussed this before, but can you discuss core competencies med schools are looking for in applicants? Hey, we just did like a whole series on core competencies, didn't we, Scott? <laughs> Absolutely, we did. We, you know, we, AMC has published uh, a number of, uh, well, nine personal so they're, they're they're core competencies and they're separated into um interpersonal personal competencies they're uh, scientific competencies so there's three sections of them and uh we just finished a uh a workshop series on the on the personal competencies uh just a couple well uh, a couple of weeks ago we finished it up and uh but I, I would encourage students to go to the AMC website and look up those look up those uh, pre-professional core competencies that they're looking for in medical students, uh, incoming medical students, and uh, check them out. I think they're very important. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it's super easy. Just Google AMC core competencies. I think one mm -hmm. of the biggest mistakes that students make when it comes to core competencies is trying to frame their whole application around them. And so then you're not talking right. about really your story anymore. You're focused on the core competencies. And so that's a, a, just a, a warning to put out there. 
go go look at them know what the core competencies are but don't focus on them and, and craft your whole application around them agreed agreed all right hey thanks for going live today i have a question about general advice about whether to pursue a do-it-yourself postback versus a master's slash formal postback for someone who is going for an md phd program wow so, yeah question question the um so at the end of the day right uh, obviously from an md standpoint we talk about postback programs all the time and and kind of good better best scenario when it comes to a postback program um how much do you think an md phd potentially affects a decision algorithm for that for that uh, choice well i think it does affect it quite a bit um i i geez i'm i'm a little um it depends a little bit on what what the student's background is if they're doing a post-bac program because they are non-science mate you know had a non-science background then that would be one thing uh if they're doing a post-bac program because they didn't do well in their bachelor's degree program and they're having to do uh gpa repair um then i sort of question the ability for that kind of person to get get into an md phd program period so uh i mean you know there's not any definites or whatever and I, i'm just speaking just from my own experience with md phd programs they're super competitive and um you know some are some are you know the the nih funded ones are are sort of wow competitive and mm. even even those that are not nih funded are, are are very competitive they're all small programs so to the question though i would say you know i i would really have to know a little bit more about what the situation was with a student to 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 get a sense of what you know why the reason for the for the postback program but i would say probably for a formal postback program maybe the special master's program would be be more appropriate than trying to do it yourself interesting so you think there's there's potentially a difference for md versus md phd uh, in terms of that grade repair type student just because of how competitive md phd programs are yeah yeah absolutely okay totally agree with that interesting would you consider working in a care facility for people with learning disabilities to be clinical experience mm. Mm. learning disabilities <laughs> mm. you know i would say it depends a little bit on what you're doing in the care facility um but generally speaking, I think with learning disabilities, I would say probably no would be my initial reaction to that. Um, my own son has learning disabilities, and uh, he has never been in a in a in any kind of facility. But uh, I would say learning disabilities. Um, I, I, the, I I sort of think no, probably, but. I guess it would depend a little bit on what you're doing. Yeah, my my 
probably tendency is to lean towards no um, without digging a little bit further to, to find out exactly what they're doing. Um, but that's, that's definitely interesting. Remember, clinical experience, I, ideally, you're, uh, doesn't specifically have to be in a clinical setting like a hospital, but you're interacting directly with patients. And so long-term care facilities like nursing homes, there's, there's a lot of potential for that to be clinical experience. A, a lot of students, whenever I talk about clinical experience, students will come to me, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? All of the million different variations of these jobs, students will start to throw at me. And really, I need you to do, you, you the listener, you watching, you need to do the critical thinking and figure out based on your activities, what you are doing, are you interacting with patients outside of a like an admin role? Are you interacting with patients and, and helping them in any way? If so, then it likely is yeah. clinical experience. Yeah, agreed. How do you discuss a non-clinical job that may be frowned upon by admissions committees? Ooh. Uh, like oh, let's, let's throw one out there right so i, I i'm in colorado right uh we're, we were one of the earlier states for marijuana um let's say i have a job at a dispensary like should i even put that on my application <laughs> um wow i i've never thought about this question before um i i don't know i i was I think that you could probably put it on there in a way that doesn't totally reveal what it was. I mean, you could put that you were working retail and uh, and that you were a clerk at a retail establishment. Yes, I um, made my customers you know, very, very so. happy. <laughs> <Right? laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I... You know, I, I don't really know. That's a very good question. That I, I, I would assume that there are, I guess, a few jobs out there that maybe admissions committees would, as this student puts it, frown on. But, I mean, to me, if you start going down that road of, um, well, is the committee going to frown on this or that or whatever, you know, then you start losing yourself as as if you start questioning everything about what – because you don't know what the admissions committee is looking for. You don't know what their what their backgrounds are, uh, et cetera. So, you know, I, I get the question, and, and but boy, I, I don't like going down that road because I think it it potentially causes you to get really uh, too careful. We we've had a similar question in the past with a female who was an exotic dancer and potentially talking about that in her application. Would you, I guess, at the end of the day, and from your experience as the director of admissions, um, was there anything inappropriate that really came across your desk? No. Okay. Not, not in terms of a job or stuff like that. No, I never saw anything like that. So. Rachel, you're muted. Sorry. 
Hi, I wanted to chime in with one other thing because sometimes context is hard to read in a question. I want to make sure the question asker understands that just because it's not clinical, it's not inherently frowned upon, right? Because you guys jump to sort of the worst mm. case of that question, which is, is it something that's um, taboo according to some societal norms or is it something that was recently illegal? Um, and, you know, personally, I think, anyway. Like you said, it's a whole kettle of worms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to open that one, but but I just want to make sure that the person isn't just assuming that because it's non-clinical. Like, yeah. you worked at a grocery store. Yeah, I mean, I think a doctor who's worked at a grocery store bagging groceries with Karens is probably going to be way more patient than someone who didn't. <laughs> you know, I, so I, that oh was yeah, my first job was bagging groceries. Yeah, um, mine you know, too. I, That's hilarious. <laughs> So, and, and again, there's so many questions coming in and this, this particular one came in anonymous anyway. So I'm not gonna, we're not gonna be able to catch your context, unfortunately, question asker, but right. just in case that was where you were going, I wanted to address that part that like, it's good to be a well-rounded person with something outside of medicine in your life. Yeah, good catch. Uh, if you're watching on Instagram, we're pulling questions from our YouTube and Facebook stream. So go over to premed.tv or math.tv is our, our YouTube channels where you can ask questions. So with that said, next question up is, how do you convey to a school in an interview that you really want to go there without sounding desperate? I love this question because I'm like, well, you applied. So that hopefully that means you really want to go there. Uh, I don't know what right. else students can do to like really, really convey that they want to go to that school. Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of, you know, I think that, a, you know, most students come into an interview with the concept that they, you know, really want to go to that school. And uh, whether whether that's your their top choice or not, they they convey the the message that they really want to go to that school. And so I, I I wouldn't worry about that. And yeah, I do think I would caution not to sound desperate or whatever. But um, you know, I think you just got to be yourself and say, hey, I'm really interested in the school, and you know, ask good questions of your interviewer. Why do you? why do you stay working here? If it's a, if it's a faculty member, why do why do you like it? You know, if it's a student, why did you come here? Uh, what, what do you like about it? What would you not like about it? And that's about all you can do, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the application itself shows your interest, uh, obviously post interview, yeah. potentially if you have some other acceptances and you're still waiting on your dream school, maybe sending a letter of intent, may just like, hey, like I have other acceptances, but I really want to go here. Um, post post interview, right. um, then right. then maybe there's some options. But outside of that, it's just normal kind of interview etiquette and and showing your interest and doing your research on the school and being as specific as possible as to why you're interested in that school. Agreed. Yeah. What's the most totally common mistake people make during an interview? Any tips are appreciated. Ooh, I, I'm sure you have uh, a stash common of interview mistake. day uh, goofs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I I think students I I think students generally do a pretty good job interviewing. Um, We've, you know, over the years, I, I really experienced very few interviews that went just totally crazy bad. Um, I, I think that most most students are pretty prepared. 
they know what they're you know want to talk about it uh, I, I think you know maybe one common mistake no, would be not reviewing their own per their own um, application prior to going into the interview it's just so that it's fresh on their mind what they wrote in their application um, and then the other thing would be not um, uh, not reviewing the school's website and, and information about the school where they're interviewing and and not really being up to date on what's going on with that school uh, I would I would do both of those yeah just super basic things that are very yeah. a lot of times very yeah. easy to to forget because students are so focused on so many other things yeah no agreed agreed I, I'll I'll just want to just add on one thing. I, I think just in my mind, the biggest mistake that I see in interviews that I try to try to fix with people is students trying to go in or, or go in thinking that they have to prove something to the interviewer to prove that yeah. they're an amazing student. The school the school obviously likes you, or else they wouldn't have invited you for an interview. And so your job is just to go have a conversation, show them who you are, not try to beat your chest and show them how amazing you are. I think that's where, in right. my mind, that's where students fail a bunch. Yeah, I totally agree with that. All right. Can online journal research make up for a lack of traditional clinic or bench research due to COVID? I've not been able to get actual research. Online journal research. I guess it depends on what mm. online journal research is. Like, are you, uh, are you tasked with a project and you need to go review different research uh, articles and and pull in some information to develop a new hypothesis for a new research study, or like, are you just reading, <laughs> reading journals? Right. Yeah, and you know, I I, I do think this this uh, question highlights one of the myths about um, medical school admissions, which is that you have to have research experience to get in, and uh, I don't agree with that. I I think that. Many applicants don't have research experience or they have very, very limited research experience. Uh, and uh, medical schools, most medical schools don't require it. Even research-intensive medical schools don't you know, have as a, as a standard that you have to have X amount of research ex experience hours or whatever in, in, uh, in, in order to be considered. So, you know, I think if you don't have any research experience and you, you're doing some sort of online journal thing, whatever that is, um, sure, I think that that's fine. Uh, but I now, if you say all over your application, "Oh, I want to do research," and you don't have any research, then that's an issue, obviously. But yeah. um, but just generally, I don't think that a research experience is a is a uh, is a definite must that you got to have, like clinical experience is. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I'll, I talk about that all the time. I actually did, recently did a TikTok video where I, I said research was probably one of the most overrated parts of an application and from a pre-med perspective. Yeah. Um, and they always come back to me with this stat, and I always know it's going to come back, that the, the AAMC publishes this information on students and, and matriculants, and it shows that it's like 90% of, of – matriculants have research and 
84% or even less than that have clinical experience or shadowing experience. <laughs> and so they go, see, see, research is more important because more students have it. I'm like, that's all self-reported data. And we don't really know, right, what, what students are putting on their yeah. application and, and where are they pulling this information from? So I, I always kind of right, deflect right. away from that those numbers because I just, I don't know how, where that information is pulling from. Agreed. Yeah, I agree with that. I, 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 I wonder, cause I think that is uh, student reported stuff and sometimes students report, well, I did, I, I took a lab class in my senior year of college and that that's not research, you know, so, yeah. but they say it is. And so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a good point. A lot of good do, questions tonight. Do, do, do activities that were done before college but not in high school count? I did not attend college right after high school and worked in a nursing home for two years. Aha. I think it's a, a good question. Ah, good question. Yeah. Very good question. Well, I know that, uh, yeah, that what I would say to this is that, that what they really want to uh, C is everything post high school graduation. So in this particular scenario, absolutely that would count. And you would want that on your application is post high school graduation. And so, yes, uh, I definitely think that's something that you would want to include. Yep. Yeah. Gen general rule of thumb is everything after high school, not everything after yeah. the start of college. Right. Correct. Yep. That's small correct. little. And kudos little to you for, for, for doing the non-traditional route and, you know, doing something after high school to kind of, I don't know why you did it that way, but I wish more students would get their head screwed on properly before they <laughs> tried to, you know, spend all the money for college and stuff, all their, yeah. their parents' money and stuff like that. So, yeah. I'm very backwards system. Um, how does one convey their story and what you learn from activity if TMDS only gives you a limited number of characters to explain them? So Scott, I, I'm gonna, I, I have a bone to pick with you since you're the former executive director uh -oh. of TMDSAS. Um, yeah. You, and I'm gonna blame you specifically, you only allow 300 characters on an activity. Yeah. versus 700 yeah. for AMCAS, 600 for ACOMIS. Why do you all, y'all, since you're in Texas, why do y'all yeah. restrict the ability for students to tell their story a little bit better? Well, that's a good question. And I think it, this goes back years and years, even years before I was at TMDSAS. And, um, but my my feeling is that it was it's so it's largely because you don't want students to go on and on and on and on and on about what they did in the in you know their shadowing experience with a with a doctor uh, or whatever uh, you want them to be concise uh, succinct you want it to be you know only to the point of that activity and yep. not broadened you know beyond that and, and go all around the world with it. Not that that's what students would do with 700 characters, but I think, now you also got to keep in mind that yeah, AMCAS, AMCAS gives you 700 characters, but they also only give you 15 slots yep. so very for those different. 700 characters. Yep. So it's very different. At TMDSAS, you could have, you know, 30, 30 activities or whatever. So, um, so I, I think, 
I think when it comes to um, the description of activities, you do have to be very concise. Even with 700 characters, you still have to be somewhat concise uh, on that. But with TMDSES, certainly you can't. And what I would say is that in those, in those descriptions, uh, activity descriptions, you do not need to have full sentences. So in other words, you, you don't have to say, I was shadowing a physician and he or she did this and that and I saw this and that, period, and then start over another sentence. You can just say, you, you know, just um, you can use abbreviations, use punctuation well to, um, to separate your, your thoughts, <clears throat> but you don't have to spend all that uh all those characters with full-on sentences. You can you can break it up into fragments and stuff like that. All you're wanting to do is get across what did you do and what was the meaning of it to you, and and that's what's important. Yeah, I agree. All right, what's we got? I stopped shadowing a physician a few months before COVID started. I have one and a half years of shadowing. I've continued to get clinical experience. Will this hurt my application? I want to apply this coming cycle. No. <laughs> well, this sort of goes back to the question we had earlier related to clinical experience. It sounds like you've got quite a bit already, a year and a half of uh, clinical experience and uh, and you're continuing to do some stuff. So. Well, it, she said, I think if we go back to that uh, question, I think she said a year and a half of, year and a half um, of shadowing. Shadowing. Yeah. Yep. shadowing. I continue to get experience. clinical experience. Right. So I, I, this applicant, I don't think there's an issue. I, I, I think you're definitely good to apply this, this cycle, it, considering the clinical and, and shadowing experiences for sure. I think I you're ahead I, of the game in terms of a lot of students. Yeah, that's that's the whole micro macro uh, argument that I, I right. always talk about. So in yeah. the macro, this person has done what they wanted to do, and yes, there's going to be yeah. uh, a a gap because of COVID and and everything else. But they they've done well with everything else, so it's good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, rock and roll and keep them coming. How do adcoms weigh part-time jobs held during undergrad against a lower than average GPA? Ooh, good, good nuance here. So, so really, Scott, again, from your role as the former director of admissions, when it comes to, and a lot of schools do rubrics. Did did you did you have rubrics at UT Southwestern when it came to looking at applications and scoring applications? No. Okay. No. So. Uh, so no rubric there, but but potentially just thinking out loud here, there's that potential of what's the GPA and are there any sort of extenuating circumstances that may lead to someone having a lower GPA? How much is that taken into account? Yeah, it is taken into account. Um, and a good example of that is varsity sports. Uh, varsity, you know, playing varsity sports is a very is a huge time commitment, and uh, I think students who play varsity sports often have a little bit lower GPA uh, because of that. Um, not always, but sometimes they do. Uh, another another good example of that is the military academies, where there's tons of commitments and stuff, and they have a lot of you know extra stuff they have to do, and uh, their GPAs maybe 
you know, different because of that. Now, part-time job, I'm a little worried about that because, yeah, if a student work student works full-time, then obviously, yeah, there's there there may well be an issue in terms of GPA that has to be considered by an admissions committee. Part-time, uh, I mean, I worked part-time all the way through college. Uh, I think a lot of students work part-time. Part, a little bit of it depends on what the student means by part-time. I mean, are we talking 15 hours a week? Are we talking about 30 hours a week? You know, what are we talking about in terms of the number of hours that the student is working? But uh, I, I think that the, the schools will give a little bit of, uh, of wiggle room for GPAs that are affected by these outside activities and stuff. But uh, my experience is it's just a little bit of wiggle room. You know, you can't come in and say, well, I worked all the time and I had a 2.2 GPA. Well, that's just not going to work. You know, we're not that that's not going to happen. So, yeah. At the end of the day, you still have to prove academic capabilities to get through medical school and having yep. a part time. job Absolutely. Doesn't doesn't excuse that. Correct. That's absolutely correct. Ooh, I love these ones. Lots of conflicting information, whether an applicant is URM, disadvantaged, or first gen. Is there a rule of thumb or general advice on how to navigate these terms? Let me step back and go, do these terms even matter? Hmm. Well, I do think they matter. Um, I think it I think that it depends on the school. It depends on the state that the school is in, uh, as to how much it, how much or if any, it may may matter. Mm -hmm. um, disadvantaged is a is a very uh, vague term that that I think even the double AMC, it's a self reported thing. You know, disadvantage. Yep. You you click the box and that's it. And, and I know that TMDSAS attempts to uh, get at that disadvantaged uh, question a little bit more. And they do ask if you're first generation college student um, or college graduate. And, you know, you're URM, they're going to calculate that on their own. But, you know, students are still self-reporting their, their ethnic or racial background. Yep. So I, I think the rule of thumb is just, you know, be on, as honest and with with the with the uh, app with the medical schools as possible, um, you know, with what you consider because everything you put in your application is going to be open for discussion at an interview, and so if you say a disadvantaged, and then the interviewer says to you, "Tell me more about why you consider yourself disadvantaged," and you fumble around with something because, you know, your father you know, I, I don't know, some weird thing and that doesn't make any sense. And that's going to be a real problem. Yeah. Uh, also with URM stuff, if you, you know, I mean, the, the old, the, the old uh, adage was, um, and this is goes years and years back, but it was, can an Egyptian indicate that they're a African-American? Yeah. And, or whether, you know, and, and so, you know, there, there are discussions about this and stuff like that, but I think you just have to be honest with yourself and honest with the, with the medical schools as much as you can because they're going to sniff out if they feel like you're trying to yeah. somehow, you know, be weird or something. So I, I heard a story recently from someone who, who knew someone, so, so take it with a grain of salt, 
but around that right. specific example that you gave someone who was South African was Afrikaans, uh, who was white, but because they're from South Africa, put that they were African American on their application, thinking it would make give them a leg up. And so I'm like, ah, I don't think this works that way. Um, but really, no, to, that's to, not going to work. Yeah. To, to get back to the heart of that question, right there, there, those are three distinct um, kind of categories of, of whatever, right? So URM underrepresented minority or underrepresented in medicine, two different ways of, of saying those two things. Um, that comes down to what you're checking off as, as race, race and ethnicity. Um, so, so right. that's, that's one thing. So there's, there's really no, like you're URM or you're not, again, some schools may decide if you, you're URM or not. Um, and so it's very school specific, maybe depending on the, the communities that they take care of. And then when it comes to disadvantage, Scott, as you said, at least on AMCAS's application, it's a self-reported thing. You check the box. They, they give you right. some vague guidelines on what potentially could be considered disadvantaged, but anyone can check that box. And then you have 1,325 characters to explain why you think you're disadvantaged. Um, yeah. And so disadvantage has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has nothing to do with how much income you have. It's whether or not you think your upbringing, your what you were given, uh, the tools you were given, uh, the resources you were given potentially were less than maybe what is considered standard. Um, and then from a first generation student, obviously, if, if you're the first one going to college in your family or first one potentially graduating in your family, um, that's calculated. AMCAS does some automatic calculations for first generation based on um, what I think it, it, it's based on your parents' occupations, uh, not your parents' occupations, your parents' highest education level. There's a, a socioeconomic um, disadvantaged score that you get based on that that's automatically generated, but you don't, you don't select that. So... <sighs> Fun, ter fun terms that uh, students navigate around. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. How much does fit matter in picking medical school lists, medical schools? If GPA is slightly below the school's average, but all my experiences are in the same realm the schools focus on, should I still apply? I love talking about school fit and stats when picking schools. Um, so I'll, I'll go first here. I... 1000% don't agree with the norm of picking schools based on stats. All that does is perpetuate the, 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 the same stats over and over and over and over again. Students need to look at schools based on a lot of factors, location, mission, vision, curriculum, so many different things to determine whether or not you are going to be a good student at that school. Um, this, the schools have a range of uh, GPAs of students who they accept. And obviously all those numbers are kind of crunched down into the median that we see on the MSAR. Uh, and then we have the 25th, 75th, 10th, and 90th percentiles as well. But uh, obviously 10th percentile, there's still a lot of students being accepted below that number, right? 10% of the class is below that number. So um, I, I 1000% think if you think you're a good fit for the school, if you think that school will be good for you, 
apply, even if your stats are below. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I think that, uh, you know, we've discussed it before that the only, the only real absolute in the application process for medical school is if you don't apply, you're not going to get in. So, you know, you, you, you really got to put your, put your hat in the ring and say, here's why I think I'd be a good fit for this institution. And, and then, you know, let them see, let them see what they, what they think about you. So I, I agree with you completely, Ryan. Yeah, I, I get a lot of messages from students who, like, I got into my dream school, my, my MCAT is seven points below their median, but and, and I wasn't going to apply to them, but I listened to your, your, your kind of theory and methodology behind picking schools, and I did, and I got in, so. Yeah, yeah. All right. How long should the quote why medicine answer be? Is it okay to discuss a few main points with short anecdotes or keep it more general so that the interviewer can ask more? Ooh, general, how well, long you, should you my have answer to... be? So this is, I guess, the personal statement why medicine I think you this know, is part of the personal this is, uh, statement. Interview. Is this is missing. an interview a question. Oh, 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 okay. Is it okay to discuss a few minutes with a short antidote or keep it more general? So, oh, I see. So, yeah, I think it, it, it has to be as long as it needs to be. Um, you know, you, what you don't want to do is is go around the world and take 15 <laughs> minutes of a, of a 25-minute interview to explain why medicine. Uh, that makes it sound like you're trying to convince yourself more than you're trying to convince the, uh, the interviewer of this you know, stuff. So, you know, I think, you know, I, I think that, you know, if it takes, you know, two or three, you know, two or three minutes, I, I think that would be appropriate. If it takes 10 minutes, that's probably too long. Yeah. Two to three minutes is actually really long when it comes to an interview answer as well. So uh, I think a lot of students overestimate or underestimate yeah. uh, uh, how much they can say in a short amount of time. So very similar to a personal Absolutely, statement, yeah. right? When, when you write your personal statement, you obviously are very restricted in terms of character count. You can tell the same story as your personal statement in more of a, a, a flowery way because you're talking now and, and be very uh, succinct. So don't, don't try to give yep. your whole resume and, uh, and everything when it comes to answering in an interview. Yeah, because the likelihood is that the interviewer has read your personal statement, and so, or, or they had access to read it, and so, yeah, I think that you got to depend on the fact that they've read that, so they sort of know, and uh, and so then they're just wanting you to sort of uh, go back over that and kind of, you know, uh, bring in some other things about why why medicine, and so I, I did have a student that I was working with recently who took, you know, really way too long getting to the point of the why medicine question. And so we had to really work on his ability to kind of pare it down and not go all around the world talking about various stuff to get to the point of this is why. So. Yep. All right. Got another one. Uh, am I disadvantaged if I apply to medical school at 43 years old? 
<laughs> boomer. I love the, I love the, uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, boomer. boomer <laughs> I'm going to assume that your name is Boomer because I too am 43 and we are on the Gen X millennial <laughs> line. Yeah. Gen X, not Boomer. <laughs> That's funny. Well, coming um, from a Boomer, I feel a little bit, you know, I, I'm the only Boomer in this, in this triad. And so I, you're I an elder Gen X. Little, uh, <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. No, I, I would say go ahead and apply. You know, you're not going to be disadvantaged. And if you already really want to go to that school. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the schools that are going to have any sort of bias towards you are not going to interview you. But there are plenty of schools out there who yeah. will love the fact that you're a 43-year-old oh, yeah. applicant and, and will oh, yeah, cherish for sure. the experiences and intangibles that you bring. So. Go for it. And I would I would hasten I would also hasten to add that if you could prove that you were disadvantaged by being forty three years old, you'd have a pretty damn good lawsuit. Good lawsuit. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. you would. <laughs> All right. So we talked about COVID a little bit already tonight, but we keep getting COVID questions. So I'm gonna pick one that I think sort of sums up a lot of what the questions are getting at. Oh, for students who were hoping to get shadowing and clinical experience prior to the 2021 application cycle, but were not able to get any due to COVID, what can they do? Mm. Well, uh, <laughs> e-shadowing, uh, e-shadow, uh, e-shadowing.com. E-shadowing uh, definitely encourage, encourage students to get involved in that and keep looking. Uh, for, uh, you know, other things that are available in your community. Uh, you know, I, I, I know it's tough, but you got to keep, you know, keep trying it and keep looking for stuff. And, uh, yeah. you know, if, you, if you're not able to find anything, then I, I would say go ahead and apply and see what happens uh, and, and just explain. A lot, of, a lot of schools in their secondary applications are asking questions about how has COVID affected you and your, you know, experiences and stuff. And that's where you have to write, uh, you know, about how you weren't able to, you know, get any experiences during the COVID pandemic because of it and, and then just see what happens. That's about all you can do, I think. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a caveat, uh, a, a subsection of students who are in this situation who haven't been able to get clinical experience, who haven't been able to get shadowing, who I would very likely tell them to not apply because they won't be able to uh, verbalize and, and write out in their personal statement and verbalize in an interview why they want to be a physician. Right. They're going to be the students who are like, well, I have a 4.0 GPA and a 520 MCAT. So that's obviously going to have to be good enough for now. And and there will be some schools that are like, OK, yep, I get it. Right. COVID, you couldn't get any experiences. But at the heart of the medical school application is why are you doing this? Right. Why? Why are you going yeah. into a field where science is being challenged every day out in the public right now right we have a huge crisis on our hands where experts aren't being believed um we have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt going to medical school we have huge burnout issues in physicians why like why do you want to do this are you like do you have enough experience 
in the healthcare world to really show me that you want to do this outside of like you really loved all 16 seasons of Grey's Anatomy. So I, I think they're going to be <laughs> there's going to to have to be students who are going to have to delay because they just don't know why they're doing this other than they've always wanted to do it. Yeah. And uh, this is something that I almost always chime in when Dr. Gray and Dr. Wright talk about clinical. Uh, we never mean that as an affront to the question asker. Uh, we're not saying, why do you want to be a doctor? Like, ah, oh. uh, clinical, we were talking before about research might be one of the most overrated aspects of applying. Clinical is usually the most underrated. Uh, a lot of people have in mind that they yeah. should get their MCAT out of the way and their prereqs out of the way, and then maybe they'll do clinical, which is why so many people are caught this year because of COVID, because they had saved it for their last year. So yeah. if you're in that position, you're going to have to make a ch choice on whether or not you're rolling the dice in May. For anyone who's more years out from med school, now you know right? Do whatever you can yeah. to start getting shadowing and clinical. And now, you know, a, few, a few people in the question said, should I even try to shadow? Absolutely should. Yeah. You know, ask. The worst that'll happen is they'll say no, and maybe they'll say yes, or maybe they'll say no, but I'll keep you in mind when it is a yes. Yeah. Um, I've been surprised how many students yeah. are, are saying they've been getting clinical experience. Um, the, the public health side of me wants to go like, no, like, don't, don't go spread your germs to patients. Um, but if the clinics and hospitals are allowing it, then take advantage, be safe. Yeah, well, it seems like right yeah. now shadowing is actually harder to get than clinical, especially if you're willing, willing to get clinical paid work as opposed to volunteer work. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely hearing about yeah. people being turned away for volunteer opportunities, yeah. but I mean, they, we need workers yeah. right now. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and our boomer Agreed. friend says they're an RN. So thank you for your service, boomer. <laughs> um, well, we are almost we're at, at our time. Yeah, we're at time here. Yeah. Um, this has been so fun. Um, it's on the screen, but for those that are maybe multitasking, I just want to remind everyone that right now you can try Mapped for 30 days. So normally we have a free trial that's 14 days long, but if you join Mapped um, today. Um, and actually anytime this week, but today's good. <laughs> um, then we'll give you a 30 day trial and it's really a free trial, no credit card required. So just go give us your contact info and hop in and start checking out mapped. Um, and then the other thing we've got going on, I'll throw up the other banner just so people can read it is 20% um, off of one-on-one -on -one advising with uh, this fellow right here. Uh, Hi, everybody. <laughs> he's waving. Hey, everybody. Um, and that is technically through Friday, but I want to say it with caution because people are enrolling really quickly and he is one man and we will limit his student load to make sure that each student who works with him gets, you know, the right kind of care. Yeah. Um, so that sale either ends when Scott's schedule is booked or Friday, whichever comes first. So if you're really interested in working yeah. with him, that might be something you want to do sooner than later. Yeah, agreed. awesome. Thanks everyone for coming. We 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 got to do these live yeah. out to the the whole world every few weeks to yeah, to, they're uh, so fun. Say hi to people. Yeah, I agree. All I agree. Right. That'd be awesome. Good night, everyone. Everyone have a great awesome. night. Awesome. Bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com/podcast. 
track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.